0: This podcast, number 853, with Marianne O'Brien, is brought to you by Mark Gober, author of a new book entitled, An End to Upside-Down Living, Reorientating Our Consciousness to Live Better and Save the Human Species. In this interview with Mark, we talk about the orientation that fundamentally drives all of our lives, which includes values, priorities, and decisions, and ultimately, what you do in the world. The purpose of this book is to explore with precision where we should set our life's compass. To learn more about Mark Gober and his books, please visit his website at www.markgober.com. That's M A R K G O B E R.com. And now for our featured podcast, please listen to my interview with author Marianne O'Brien about her new book, The Elevated Communicator How to Master Your Style and Strength and well-being at work. Happy listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining me from, I'm just going to say Minnesota, but the Minneapolis area and surrounding area is an author by the name of Marianne O'Brien. And her book is called Elevated Communicator. Um, and that doesn't mean you get in an elevator and ride it up. It means that she's going to teach you how to be more conscious. And it's how to master your style and strengthen well-being at work. Good day to you, Marianne. How are you today?
1: I am so well. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share some ideas with your audience. And I've been a big fan of your podcast for several years.
0: Well, it likewise. And... I know Marianne, which goes back to the days of a thing called Live Dynamite, and uh, and a partner that she had, Kathy Paper. But we're going to talk about the book today, and we're going to let the listeners know just a teeny bit about you, if you don't mind, Marianne. Um, she spent decades guiding people and cultures to foster open communications, cultivate empathy and deep trust. She has a depth of experience building icon brands and purpose-driven organizations and helping businesses to consciously transform. Uh, she's worked with big brands like Nordstrom's, Coca-Cola, and Apple, as well as small independent businesses or background in advertising, consulting, and corporate coaching taught her to value authentic leadership and healthy cultures and inspired her to found her company, where you can find her at Conscious Company, that's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-hyphen-company.com. Uh, and she also leads classes in intuition development and energetic healing techniques, uh, mentoring people on the path to higher consciousness. And she lives, we were just talking, she calls it a hobby farm outside of Minneapolis, where she actually holds retreats as well. Um You'll have to ask you later what a hobby farm is, but I guess it's not <laughs> a full-on full farm. Um, you know, Marianne, I said it, and I think I'll say it again. You spent years working inside organizations, helping people. Uh, develop purpose, and you know we hear this word tossed around so much today. You know, define your purpose, and so on. And I I get it from all different angles, and I think it's really important to define the purpose. The question is, the individual purpose or the organizational purpose? Um, and you've really helped people do uh, both. How do you help individuals and organizations find the purpose? And what characteristics um, do people? And maybe the word imbibe, isn't it? Because that's to drink a lot. But the reality is when you get your purpose, you really should be drunk with your purpose. You know, uh, I I remember a song that we sing at Self-Realization Fellowship, and they talk about drinking in, you know, so that you're just, it's just part of your DNA, right? It's who you are. Um, how do you help them do that? Find that purpose.
1: Well, there's kind of two key aspects to it. The first is you have to be able to articulate it, kind of what is it that brings you alive, and those questions around like why do you exist and for a business, like why should anyone care? what do you stand for? what do you stand up for? And those questions are as applicable for business as they are for people. And the second aspect is then how do you live it? So you know, what do you say and do? how do you embody it in your culture, how do you Make sure that, you know, the way you treat your people, your communities, the planet, all of your operations align with that purpose. And
0: for most, how, how do you make it, Marianne, so that it's not just a statement on the wall, like the vision and the mission? You know, the purpose is supposed to be the why, you know, Simon Sinek. It's the driving element. How do you get it so that it's just like the culture is just permeated with this?
1: Well, there are more practices that are coming in to support it in organizations now. That you know, so we're going through this paradigm shift, right? So if you step back and look at what's going on in the business world, you know, this idea of of you know shifting from Friedman economics and and all it is about profit to a world filled with purpose and meaning. Now you're seeing you know companies from the outside like BlackRock and Larry Fink saying like, hey, we won't invest in you if you don't you know, show that you have a purpose and that you're living it and your board of directors is signed up. And then you're having the pressure of employees who are saying like, I want to work for a company that stands for something that has, you know, some sort of vision outside of quarterly earnings that is driving what we do. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of seeing these confluence of forces come in between investors, your employees, your customers. I mean, people are being more discerning about where they spend their money. So those forces are, and and I do think there are a lot of leaders that are waking up to that this isn't just a way to attract employees. It, it really is what's needed on this planet. I think, you know, we're kind of in these meta crises going on right now, right? We're seeing, you know, economic health, um, you know, the way that We're handling society and there's just, there's so much going on. That's kind of rising up Mm -hmm. that it's shifting and it's creating an importance, but when you come to live it, you have to have those practices really embedded into your culture. And so when I work with an organization, you know, we start with the articulation because you have to know what you stand for and be able to communicate that and live it because this isn't like greenwashing, you know, in the eighties when all of a sudden there was this big environmental issue there are people who are really kind of checking in and seeing and people feel the difference and know it. And now that you've got QR codes and everything, like there's a way to find out what's real and what's not.
0: Right. right.
1: So they're, they embody it in their organization and it takes time to kind of change that direction of the ship if it's in you know, the wrong direction. But you also have, you know, kind of startup brands and clean slate brands that have kind of come out of the gate with those intentions and purposes. And holding that space has its own challenges. So you have to embed practices and, and, you know, metrics that help you kind of see like, Hey, are we staying true to what we say we're going to do and how we're going to live and how we're going to behave. So the whole
0: conscious company movement, you know, it goes way back before uh, John McKay at Whole Foods, but, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the, the, uh, organizations that have been built around your companies called conscious company, around conscious companies. That's really the element we're speaking about. You know, people, planet, profits. Um, the bottom line is not being measured anymore just by hey, what were our profits and what did we uh, measure. And and I appreciate that. And what you do well is you help people communicate that. You help people communicate in companies such that they can hold that purpose and they can be compassionate and open and understanding. And you, you know, this whole book is about elevated communicator. Um, and it's so important as a leader or a mid-level manager or even the worker to not only treat your fellow employees, but all of your customers this way. So you mentioned that communication is essential for cultivating trust and finding meaning, um, that it is central to everything we do. Why are people in our organization so burnt out and stressed, thus are challenged by being authentic to their communication styles, as you talk about in the book? Because we are seeing it. Um, I experience it every day. When I picked the phone up this morning and I spoke with my medical clinic, um, I uh, I get hit with incompetence. Uh, and just people they, it's like, they don't want to talk. They're in a rush. It's it, you, know, they're hurried. It's, you know, and that's not the way as a patient you want to be felt. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, I think in part, we have trust issues going on, which is part of, which is a big part of why the way we communicate is either building trust or eroding it, whether we're aware of it or not. And when you look at how the burnout is coming in, right. So we've got, and, and you look at how that ties to communication. We've been trained by our parents, our society, our managers to manage up, play the game, do the office politics, stay on 24-7. Like The more available you are, the more valuable you are. And that's really, if you've been in the work environment for any amount of time, you know that that isn't a way to succeed. You know, when you play all those games, people don't trust you. It's super disingenuous and you can feel it. You watch, you know, your co- colleagues do that and they're that level of trust erodes. And if we're not willing to unplug and kind of give back to ourselves, there's no way to renew and really have that perspective. So you when and now that we're in this meeting to meeting or zoom to zoom, like people just roll in and they there's no even time to kind of breathe or think and the stress and the anxiety builds most people don't have restorative practices that kind of help them Be at their best, and as stress goes up, communication levels go down. We personalize, we project, we react instead of you know choosing a response. And that's why one of the pieces in the book is around how do you understand what your style is under stress and become aware of that, so you start to see your behavior. I mean, ideally, you start to see it in your thoughts, and you start to realize how you're feeling and how that's going to come out in the way you express yourself. But if you can't then you'll start to see it in your behavior.
0: Mhm. That's definitely because it it starts to, you know, we have certain chemical reactions that occur in our body, cortisol being one of the worst ones that's releasing high amounts of stress. And it's been proven that it affects our ability to think properly. You know, we become very reactive, you know, we become very emotional. And I tell people, you know, you have to take a deep breath when you hear something from somebody that you don't really like and think about it before you just pounce on them uh, because it doesn't work. And you state that self-awareness, now that's what we just talked about, you know, self awareness is the key, and for me, for everything, uh, is the foundation of all positive change. Um, that the more you learn and the more you commit to the process of self discovery, the more you'll set yourself up for success. And I totally agree. Um, how would you advise that the people become more self aware and change this embedded self defeating pattern? Because I see these patterns. And they don't leave easily once people get them.
1: (laughs) Well, they dissolve over time. But I would say the first thing is you have to be able to see it, right? You can't change what you can't see. And that was why I wound up developing the assessment, because most people don't see their communication patterns. And I've always really liked when I've worked with organizations, using assessments as a tool to help them better see themselves and to see other people without judging. because. Whenever you can see it and kind of reflect on it, it's a lot more powerful whenever somebody can have that insight come up within them than have someone tell them, right? Because then you're going to hit resistance. But whenever somebody can read something and be like, oh, God, I do that all the time. I don't even think about it because we're so habitual in the way we work and the way we communicate. You know, we're on autopilot about 95% of the time. And the idea is to move your autopilot into that healthiest expression of who you are. And it's possible. You can't live there all the time, but you definitely can get there 70, 80, 90% of the time. But we're human. We'll have you know times that we're not going to be at our best. And then there's two aspects of self-awareness that I don't think we really think of it in two dimensions. But one is that internal level, right? It is impossible to get to self-awareness without reflection. So you have to have some sort of reflective practice. I mean, I think we used to have it whenever we would drive to and from work, right? That you would have that kind of decompression time or that kind of time to prepare. And I, we need to build that in now. So whether it's when you're, you know, walking the dog, you know, having a cup of coffee, just to kind of sit back and contemplate. I mean, I, it took me a long time actually to start journaling, but now it's been about 20 years there's, it's so powerful to reflect and write. There is a connection that happens when you witness what you put down on paper. So this internal reflection, because only you know what's going through your mind. You know, No one else is inside of there. We can think we know what's going on with somebody, but it's really, we don't. We don't know the full story. So it's that internal aspect. And the other piece is external, right? So we need pieces that give us that outside reflection to understand how we're impacting people. So there's an exercise in the book that's all around seeking feedback and the best leaders do it, right? You go like, Hey, what do I, what am I seeing? What are you seeing that I don't see? Or help me understand how I'm coming across in these situations. When I was coaching, um, you know, there's a specific leader that had a style that she was working really hard to become more aware of, but was under a ton of stress and she was committed to the process. And so, one of the questions that I always ask the people that I'm uh, working with is they said, hey, every so often, ask me, what am I, What are you seeing that I don't see? Give me the opening, because then I'll know you're really ready to receive it. Because mm-hmm. giving someone feedback when they're not asking for it or not uh, open to it doesn't necessarily build trust. And so I helped her understand. It. I said, you know, there's this, there's, there's this like tell that you have when you're impatient is that you will cut people off. And it, and it, you can feel the impatience. And I think sometimes we don't understand that communication is happening on all these levels, right? We feel people's intentions. Science has measured this now, right? These energy fields around our body and other people's bodies are communicating information back and forth. So people are picking up on your intention. They're picking up on what goes unsaid. And I said, I can tell when you're impatient because you'll, you'll go, yep, yep, yep. And, and it's like trying to like move me along faster. And I said, It really, and I, you know, at first I kind of like, okay, just don't take it personally. (laughs) She's just under pressure. And so I got to a point where I was like, okay, I'll find the opening and I'll help her see it. And then it's,
0: it's, uh, you know, what you say is so true. I was doing a podcast yesterday with Scott Miller, the marketing president, well, for Franklin Covey. And the CEO of Franklin Covey said to him, you know, thinking is a viable business practice thinking meaning you can take time to close your door and actually think and reflect we want you to do that you know in other words put a sign on the door i'm thinking right i thought that was so great because management embraced it because people are always in such a hurry And, you know, one of the things that you said is that genuine communication, is anchored in trust, we just talked about it. You state that trust is one of the essential elements that holds our relationships together. How would you advise building more trust with coworkers, spouses, family, friends, um, everything? Because I know we want to go to, you said, stay in non-judgment. Well, Sometimes pretty hard for the ego to stay out of non judgment, you know. And we are living in some of the most divisive times in history. You obviously live in a state that's had, you know, been besieged with this challenge because of what happened there. Um, and I just see it everywhere. Uh, and COVID has ex- exacerbated
1: it. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah. If you understand that there are there's multiple dimensions to trust but at its heart if you are not sincere you know people do feel it the thing is no one's gonna say to you like hey I, I don't feel like you're really being authentic or you're genuine or like I just don't trust you so people can say all the right words with just the right tone and now you go like yeah I'm not buying any of it we have that level of radar so just I would say be Honest. Set an intention that is really true. The second piece is you've got to listen, right? So we speak at two hundred twenty-five words per minute, but we can listen at five hundred. So staying really present and listening is hard, right? Because our mind is already going like, I wonder what I think about what they think, or like you start to drift off. And certain styles will will listen better than others. So you have to be really intentional. Eliminate distractions. Right, just the fact that your phone is in the room, studies have shown that 20% of our attention goes just to that because we think, oh, it might ring. And we're just not even aware of it. So there are things that we can do to be present and engender trust, right? Because people can tell when you're listening and when you're not. Mm-hmm. And then I would look at how to take responsibility. You know, if you think about you know, every interaction is an opportunity to either kind of put a deposit in or withdrawal, right? And so judgment is a withdrawal. And people feel judgment, all of that emotion that is going back and forth between people. If you're sensitive, you pick it up. If you're tuned in, you pick it up. So if you think about, you know, this idea of kind of staying above the line, there's this concept of, you know, some of our behaviors are above the line and some of them fall below. So when we're above the line, we take responsibility for our actions. We're sincere. We listen. We're patient. We're open to new ideas. It doesn't mean we have to change our perspective, but we should stay open. Right, because that's that's the piece that allows us to see new perspectives and and grow. And whatever
0: your an analogy have, above the line and below the line, it reminds me of a program called Love and Logic that they used to teach in school districts. You know, oh,
1: nice.
0: um, yeah, and and they would tell the kids, "Are you above the line? Or are you below the line?" Right. So, and it was um, my wife was a school teacher for twenty five years. It was like, well, so if somebody did something wrong, and here's a great example. Um, Johnny, what punishment do you think you should have? And my wife said, the kids always gave themselves way more punishment than she was going to ever give them.
1: People <laughs> <laughs> well, <But, and> <laughs> low the line, sometimes we don't even recognize it because it becomes such a pattern, right? To your point, right. earlier, like our patterns are so invisible to us. Gossiping, complaining, blaming, judging, right. avoiding conversations. Excuses. 70- yeah, 70% yeah. of people deal with with conver- with convert um, conflict by avoiding it. Right. And that just, back to well-being, that stresses us out. I don't think we recognize, we think that the stress comes from our jobs, right? That, oh, my job is so stressful. And sometimes they are. Most people experience more stress from the interpersonal issues that they're feeling. People, problems weigh on us. We ruminate on them. We talk to others about them. And they drain our energy. So if we could look for ways, when you start to understand how the communication styles play together, and you can understand how can I just remove some of those common tension points, it's so much easier to kind of take some of that out of the equation.
0: Yeah, you know, I think you've, you know, this book nails it on the head. Besides, we want to let the listeners know um, you can take this uh, eighteen question questionnaire. Um, it's free at her website. Um, it's going to give you your communication style. I'm putting a plug-in for everybody to go there. So go to conscious-company.com. It's free. Okay. This is a tool that will, then there'll be an autoresponder that'll send back an email to you that'll tell you what your style is and your sub-style, or what what do you refer to it as? Secondary. You right? a primary secondary. and a secondary. Yeah. And, and I think the important part is, is that if people take, just 10 minutes to do this. And they now they look at their coworkers and all their co-workers take it and you see the different styles, you're going to be able to do it. Now you speak about this chapter, meet your brain. And I think this is part of the problem. Um, <laughs> you you speak about the reticular activating system, which you know goes back, I don't know how long I've been talking about the reticular activating system, and the subconscious. Now I want to say. For the first time in history, I'm almost 67, I have a doctor who regularly is doing hypnosis on me. And it's fascinating what actually the strength of hypnosis can do. Um, He set me up, I'm going to say this real quick for the listeners, because maybe you don't. I had a basal cell carcinoma on my cheek just a week ago. And look at the cheek, you can barely tell that anything went on. There was very little blood during the surgery. It healed like that. And I'm telling you, the subconscious mind is so powerful and people don't really realize it. And you say, and now the stories we tell ourselves that become our reality. You know, I went to a school called uh, University of Santa Monica, and we we used to say, you live in a world of make-believe, making stuff up and then believing what you made up, right? If that is not the reality that we want, how do you success? How do you suggest rewiring the brain so that we can become more aware of those communications? Not only just the communications externally, but the communications that are constantly going on inside the brain that are telling us, Marianne, we're not enough, we could be more, um, all of these things. You don't look good enough. You're whatever it is that that's repeating in there. Um, how, how, what what are your uh, anecdotes for that?
1: Well, so for anybody who doesn't understand what the reticular activating system is, I mean, I know your viewers or your listeners are really, you know, kind of deep into this territory, but it's the piece of the brain that lets in or out what you care about, what you believe, what your story is. And so the first thing is you have to recognize that you even have a story, right? And so the science is showing us that And and that that story is programming the subconscious. So if you use that analogy of a computer, right, that the subconscious is the hard drive and it just runs, it doesn't care what program you're running. If you're running Windows or Keynote or whatever it is, it just runs what you ask it to. And so that's our stories in the programming and the conscious mind is directing it. So you have to even recognize that you have stories. And and what the science tells us is we're about 70% of our stories are faulty. We absorb them in whenever we're children. We come in with them, imprinted into our DNA. So we're coming with programming, and we have experiences that are kind of traumatic that that shut us down, or we get we pick up a belief. So yeah. there was a woman that I was working with, um, and she's a designer, and she is always presenting her work. Right? She's so she, but she is harmonious, and her fear is to damage the relationship. And she's like, oh, I'd rather have the work suffer than and just like take the feedback and do whatever they tell me to do rather than damage the relationship. And I was like, yeah, but it is actually damaging the relationship because you're not saying, you know, your, your job is to create the best design and deliver it. So it doesn't mean you don't take an input, but you also know, Hey, I understand design. And this is when we do this, here's what happens. So she had to really learn that she had the story of like, I'm afraid if I push back, I won't be liked and I'll damage my relationships. Mm-hmm. And so becoming aware of it, then whenever you're aware of it in the moment, you can become, so you have to stay mindful and then apply what you've learned. So there's those three kind of components of, of changing the brain, right? Is you first have to have some knowledge of it and understand. And whenever you're gaining that knowledge of what you can do differently, all these new neural circuitries start to expand. Right, but just knowing it isn't enough. You have to then put into action and activate those ideas. So every time you start to activate it, all these other senses start pulling in information because now you're in the experience of applying what you know. And then you have bundles of neurons that are that are forming. So that idea that you know, neurons that fire together wire together. This is how you you know change the configuration of your mind. And start to prune the stories that and the patterns that have been running it, but it doesn't happen once, twice. You have to really keep at this. So you need rituals, you need intentions, you need reflective practices that help you see and learn from those experiences, so that you can embody it. Because I love that. Uh,
0: I love the author that I can't remember her name right now, but she always she would put people up in front of the audience and tell them to ask two questions is this real? And then is it really real? Right? Oh, Byron
1: Katie, Byron
0: Katie <laughs> right? And I love her. By- Byron Katie, I haven't heard a lot from her lately. But the reality is, yeah, she's been on the show a couple of times. And it was like, think about that. What a simple question to ask yourself. You told yourself this story. And it was always usually around relationships, right? Oh, he did it to me, she did it to me, we did, it, they did it, did it, blah, blah. And then she'd say, well, is it real? And they'd have to think for a minute. You said, big, big pause, you know. No. Well, is it really real? You know, and I'm like, wow, that's a great couple of questions to ask yourself. Is right. And it what real? would
1: you do differently if it wasn't real? If you knew it wasn't real, right. what would you
0: change? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, people talk themselves into divorces that way. They talk themselves out of all kinds of relationships and mess stuff up in their life. Now, look, much of your book's focused on the four communication styles. Let's talk about this. Expressive, reserved, direct, and harmonious. And each style is comprised of its own combination of defining characteristics, behavior, and attitudes. Can you speak with our listeners to these styles and how someone listening can assess the communication style? And I know you might not have time to cover all of them, but maybe we're going to put slides up for all our listeners. You're going to see... The assessment, you're going to see the styles. It'll make a lot more sense when you're watching this video. So this is your opportunity to kind of tell people about what I call the meat and potatoes of the book.
1: Right. Okay. So first, I would say if you're trying to figure out your style, go to either conscious-company.com and take the assessment, or the Elevated Communicator. Both of those URLs will get you there. It takes maybe three to five minutes to figure out your style. If you're meeting someone and you want to understand, like okay. How do I kind of assess what their style is? Um, also, one just quick aside. Once you take your style assessment, there is a glimpse into each of the styles. So you can see that on the website. So if you're someone who doesn't read business books, I would say, one, this isn't really your typical business book. It is written to be easy to read. Yeah. But that, um, there, there's a glimpse into your styles. So of the four styles, there's expressive, reserved, direct, and harmonious. So if you think about expressive is, you know, and the names are meant to be reflective of what they are. Expressives are really they love to tell stories. They love to communicate. They really need to make a personal connection with people. And so that's kind of and and they'll step into conflict. When you look at reserved, reserved people, their whole thing is about being professional. So you can start to see, hey, they're really personal. They like it to be professional. They really like some privacy. They care about teams. They're great team players, you know. And and they will help the team get better. So each one of them plays a role. Direct their whole thing with communication. Be brief. Be focused. Stay on time. You know, don't overshare. They don't love a ton either when it comes to um, how you're you know, talking about your family and friends, like they really like things just to stay on task. And then there's...
0: Forget Harmonious. that cell phone. Get that cell phone out of there. <laughs> I, I hear it binging.
1: It's my family. We're on a group chat. It's one of our dogs' birthdays. I'm like, hello. Oh, no. i stop, stop. <laughs> and so um, back to Harmonious, they're really about being peaceful. You know, they want to they care about people a lot, you know, that back to that communicate the power of the relationship. And so they're always trying to like look to build bridges. And you can also tell, like there's there's a piece in the book that'll help you understand how to recognize your style and how to recognize other people's styles, you know, and whenever you're shifting, because there's pacing, you know, there's a speed component, there's collaboration components, there's how do you make decisions. You know, what do you value? And each style has different needs. And that's where sometimes we run into tensions because if you have expressives on one side saying like, hey, I really care about like making a connection with you and you've got direct saying like, let's just get down to business. We're here to have a meeting. That creates tension that sometimes is unspoken and it's challenging.
0: Well, you know, you have to become um, a good juggler. Uh, when you're uh, working with all the communication styles. And if you you know them, then you can know what to expect. Um, If you know what to expect, you can then respond accordingly. So to become a master of all this, you have to buy the book and take the assessment. Um, That's what I'm going to say. And that's the easiest thing, because this is of all the things you could take. There's DISC, there's Myers-Briggs. There's This is the fastest, quickest, cheapest way for you to learn what your, the styles of people are around. And that's my uh, plug there. So Marianne, in your chapter on building healthy relationships, you mentioned that the brain works in a think, feel, act cycle. We have a thought, that prompts the brain to release a neurochemical that creates a physical expression of an emotion, which we just talked about that we can feel in our body. This triggers a belief or a judgment, which creates an emotion that drives a reaction and behavior. And again, that is the process, everybody, Uh, whether you believe it or not, that's what's happening, right? Um, How can we control, uh, what really triggers us so that there's not a reaction uh, in that process? What would, what would you do? Are you going to say, hey, maybe take a big, deep breath, go meditate, do, do whatever? Um, but I do know for me, pausing works. Pause right. before something comes out of your mouth. <laughs> right.
1: So I would say take a deep breath. I mean, one thing you have to first know is what triggers you most of us have some awareness of it and those triggers often happen like when we're kids and we don't really know how to handle some of the things that have come up or whenever we've had some sort of, you know, kind of scarring experience at work where we don't want to speak up because we have some fear. So you want to know like where, when you, where are you most likely to enter into a situation where you could get triggered? Then you want to recognize how do you know you're being triggered, right? Because sometimes people just fly off the handle So if you can understand like, okay, my breath gets really short, or I start to feel it in my stomach, everybody has a different way. Some people will just start to sweat. They'll have some sort of reaction. Heartbeat starts to become really rapid. Recognize the physical signals of being triggered. And if you can take, there's this thing called the quarter second lag time. So from the time that the body has that, you know, fight or flight or freeze, you know, kind of triggering and go like, okay, okay you know what am i going to do here and it might sound like it's not much but in the in the processing speed of the subconscious it is practically infinite we have the time to go how do i want to choose my response you know and in that quarter second take a breath get the you know blood flowing out of you know your limbs which are looking to kind of run away or you know fight and come back to the brain and allow that neocortex to kind of kick in because the way it runs through the through the brain, it starts in the thalamus, it either goes to the amygdala, it goes to the amygdala first because it's faster. It's got a faster direct connection and then it goes to the neocortex. And if we always allow our emotions to drive what we do, then you get what's called a hot amygdala. That path just starts going. So we become more reactive. And when you recognize that you do have the ability, we all have the ability to do this, it's not always easy, but you practice it and you recognize that the outcomes are so much better if you give yourself that you know simple breath and choose a response. And sometimes you just choose to let it go, right? You, just, you don't have to engage in everything that sets you off. And sometimes you choose to come back and, and talk about it later. But we have that ability. We don't have to be at the mercy of our emotions.
0: Well, I think that expressives always get a, a dose of norepinephrine. Um, (laughs) And for some reason, we've always got that running in our blood. It doesn't matter what it is. It is where we're like, okay, we've got a solution. We know how to make this happen. We're, we're going to, you know, listen to us. Really? Please listen to us. Um, but but
1: uh, <laughs> Even if you don't, we'll keep talking.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, I love you, Marianne. And so Marianne, you conclude your book stating that we live in a world that's filled with uncertainty. Uh, that's one thing for constant. I'm going to have April Rennie on here speaking about her book flux. Um but that there's one constant that we can always count on and that's change. um so true. uh and especially it seems like I don't know, you know, I can't speak about the 1920s, 30s whatever, but I look at the people at that time maybe not near as much change and not near as fast. Um, And certainly not back in the uh, pioneer days. Um, So what (laughs) advice would you recommend to our listeners about changing and being flexible in how we seek to understand others to create a better world with more harmony, more peace, and more understanding? Please let's bring more peace, harmony, and understanding and compassion into the world.
1: Well, you know, change is destabilizing, right? That's why most of us don't embrace it, you know, with open arms. But if you have daily practices, you know, so we were talking about this earlier, right? That, you know, if you get up and you have a gratitude practice or a reflection practice, or there's something that, that helps kind of keep you connected and aware of who you are, you can be at your best and bring out, those best qualities in you more often than not. And yeah. really, success is about bringing, bringing out the best in yourself and bringing it out in others, right? We are so much better together. And I think sometimes we forget this, that, you know, especially if you grew up in a culture that was really competitive, it's, it's challenging for cultures to shift from that competitive maverick model into collaboration. But the truth is, you know, we need each other. We need all of the different perspectives. And when you see the different styles, you start. To, you can see where, like, oh, okay, this is what they bring. You know, directs keep things on track. Oh, we need harmonious. They really help bring in the human component. So we need each other. And, and I think sometimes we forget, too, that, you know, companies don't have ideas. People do. And they don't come in all fully formed and, you know, with an action plan we all need to kind of bring in those perspectives because we all hold a different perspective and we need the richest ideas to solve these problems that we're facing in our world. And we need to be more, you know, empathic with each other and understanding. And that's why if you can understand someone else and why they operate the way they do that understanding, might still rub you a little bit, but you're going to go like, okay, you know, that's just the way they are. I'm the way I am. Let's all kind of flex a little bit so that we can come together and work together and find that sense of satisfaction. And I think we're all wanting to create a positive impact in the world and in our lives. And and we want our work to have meaning. And we're going to find far more of that if we find ways to collaborate and come together and accept our differences and realize that those differences are actually what make us better.
0: Well. It is. And I think communicating with those differences and having awareness that those differences exist. I think, you know, it's pretty easy to see the differences in communication styles. And again, my plug for your book, you're going to go out and get, we'll have a link to Amazon, The Elevated Communicator. You're going to go to conscious hyphen company.com to take your test to see what communication style you are. But in my summation here, Marianne, um, what I know, no this is my knowing, might not be everybody else's knowing, is that if you pace yourself, slow down, listen to what someone else has to say. I say this podcast show for the last 15 years has been The best thing in the world for me as a communicator. It has forced me to learn to listen. And I think the important part is to learn as you're going to be a good communicator, you've got to be a better listener. So I would tell all of my listeners who are listening to the podcast when you're in a conversation, please take the time to slow down. Please take the time to listen. Don't just knee jerk react response. Uh, take a, a breath and think about what the other person said and think about how important and valuable it is to them. Don't demean them during the process that what you have is better to say. And with that, Mary Ann, we are going to have people go get this book. Da 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 Please go get the book. And um. Go to Marianne's website. And by the way, you can contact her. All you got to do is push contact. Uh, I'm sure she'd be happy to open to any of your questions. Um, And it's been a blessing having you on. Namaste to you, darling. It's just been a wonderful, you know, 45 minutes here. Thank you so much.
1: And I thank all of your listeners for their attention. I know that is one of the most valuable things we have right now is our time. So thank you. And I wish you all the best.
0: Take care, Marianne.
1: Thank you. You too. Bye.